We are in week three of our series that we're calling Unlikely Heroes. And, and chances are, at one time or another in your life, you, you dreamed of maybe being a hero of some kind, maybe being something special, someone who might actually have extraordinary impact on the world around you or the people around you. But then, you know how it is, like every year goes by, another trip around the sun, you begin to realize, man, that's, <laughs> that's probably not going to happen for me. Because all those people, all those special people, they, they have something that that I just don't have. They, they must have something special that I don't have because I'm just, well, I'm just ordinary. But the, the good news for you, as we talked about in the past few weeks, is that being ordinary doesn't disqualify you from anything. Being ordinary doesn't disqualify you from the opportunity to have extraordinary impact on the people around you, on, on your sphere of influence around you because God created you. He created you for a purpose. He created you for something meaningful, for something that lasts far beyond you. He created you to ultimately have extraordinary impact in this world. And throughout these four weeks, what we're trying to do is answer this question, God, how could you actually do that with an ordinary person like me? We're trying to discover how he could actually do that. And what we're doing is we're looking at four stories of Ordinary people, if you will, in the Old Testament, kind of the first half of our Bible, the, the Hebrew Scriptures. We're looking at their stories to see what was it about them? <laughs> what, what was it about them and their characteristics or some quality that God had given to them that allowed them to ultimately be positioned to have extraordinary impact? Because I believe, I believe should you choose to take those same characteristics and apply them to your life, to take those same characteristics and actually try and use them in your life, that you have the opportunity to also be positioned to have extraordinary impact on your family, on your friends, on, on people who don't know Jesus, on your team, on your classmates, on uh, the people at work, on your neighborhood, that you can have extraordinary impact on them in some special, special ways. Well, last week we had the awesome opportunity to hear from Tim Bulky. Tim's back to preach week three of this series, so let's give it up for Tim Bulky as he comes out here this morning. <laughs> Great being back with you today, and, and uh, we're going to look at the, in depth the story of, a, of the most ordinary person you can imagine. Uh, excuse me. Those of you that were brave enough to enter in to the service last week, or if you listen online, you heard me talk about this hiker that had this uh, goal of hiking the Colorado Trail, 486 miles. And he accomplished that, and they asked him at the end of that hike, you know, how'd you do it? What was it about you that allowed you to do that incredible hike? And he said, there's nothing special about me. I mean, I just, it's amazing what you can accomplish by just taking the next step, the next step in front of you. And that's what we want to talk about more today. As Matt talked about, after the service last week, uh, Dale Phillips came up to me, he was here, and Dale's son, uh, Daniel's on staff here, and Dale's been a long-time friend of mine and uh, for, since my 20s. My parents died when they were both young, and, and Dale did their services when I was in my 20s, and so he and I bonded from that point on, but I invited him in to start this Harbor Ministries with me 15 years ago that I lead today, and we were reminiscing after the service last week about that, that moment when we first had the conversation, and I, he was in my basement, Dale, and another guy, and my wife, and we were circled up, and I was starting to share the vision of what this could be, that I believe we could literally change the world by deeply investing in just 20 at a time. That was the hope, uh, that we were going to be counterintuitive and go small instead of go big. And 
And as I began to share that, one of them said, and I remember Dale saying, hey, I mean, I wonder how many things started with just a small step like this. And now, these years later, who would have guessed? Um, 40 groups of 20, 800 pastors and marketplace leaders from 44 states around the country have been through a two- or three-year journey with us. Uh, the music of my right-hand guy, Brian Olson, who works out has extended its reach, our writings, a podcast that has gone beyond what any of us ever dreamed of. And the only thing I can tell you is there was just a small step that we took of faith, believing what God was telling us to do, and that step made all the difference in the world. Um, there's a famous uh, chapter in the Bible, Hebrews 11. And uh, many that are familiar with it reference this as the Hall of Fame chapter, the Hall of Fame people of faith, the m- massive names of the faith. If you've been around the church at all, the uh, names you'd recognize, Noah, by faith. Noah built an ark when everybody was mocking him and making fun of him. He stepped out. Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Sarah, these heroes of the faith. And then at the end of this chapter is the most unlikely hero of all that we're going to talk about this morning, the most incredible unlikely hero of all, Rahab. In the end, the closer of this Hall of Fame chapter in Hebrews 11. Now, Matt, a couple weeks ago, was talking about faith steps. You referenced it uh, through Nehemiah. We talked about it with Elijah last week when I was with you. And we're talking about Rahab this this morning, but it would help us, I think, to get a real clear understanding of what faith is. What is a faith step? And uh, faith is described to us in that very first verse in the Hebrews chapter Hall of Fame, Hebrews 11.1. 1. So Jacob, getting on the same page with it, I think this will help. Uh, Hebrews 11.1, 1. and I'm going to read it out of a couple different translations uh, just so we get a sense for what this is. What is faith? You hear that heard and talked about all the time. Faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith shows us the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. Another translation says, faith is the certainty of things hoped for, the proof of things not seen. An old author, Oswald Chambers, said this about faith. It enables a believing soul to treat the future as present, and the invisible is seen. And more currently, a pastor, I like to follow a pastor out of Portland, Oregon, Tim Mackey says, faith starts with a reason. This is not blind faith, this faith in God that we're inviting people into. It's not based on nothing. It starts with a reason. It starts with purpose and ends with action. It's not just a mental state of mind, but is an experience you have as a result of the choices you make. I love that. And it's a faith again. It starts with a reason. It's not just a mental state of mind, but it is an experience you have as a result of choices you make. And that Hebrews chapter 11, and where Matt took us a couple weeks ago in Nehemiah and Elijah last week, these are men and women who had an experience as a result of choices they make that changed everything for them, for their families, for the people they influence, and in many cases, the world was different as a result. So let's take a look at who we're going to dive into in this, this week and my last time with you, Rahab, the most unlikely heroes. Uh, her initial story is told in the last two verses of that Hebrews chapter, Hall of Fame, Hebrews 11, 30 and 31. It says this, 
It was by faith that Joshua took the people of Israel and marched on Jericho for seven days, and the walls of Jericho came crashing down. And it was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people of her city who refused to obey God, for she had been given a friendly welcome, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So first, got to have some backstory, and this is important. So I'm going to take you through, through the backstory of this march on Jericho. So hang with me here, because uh, a little quick kind of history journey. So the Hebrew people are enslaved for generations in Egypt. And uh, they've been told again and again, past their mothers and fathers, that there is a promise. That God's made a promise to the people, there will be a promised land someday. But they're locked in slavery. And God raises up Moses to take one of those faces step, step of faith, and enters in, and he's the one that leads the people to freedom out of Egypt and in a mass exodus out of that country to freedom. And they come up to the Red Sea. And uh, at this point, the Egyptian army's pursuing them, and and they come up to the Red Sea, and God, in a miraculous way, parts the Red Sea. And the Hebrew people are able to cross through the Red Sea on dry, dry ground to protect them. And we're talking about, you know, not a few hundred people here. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people that have been rescued from slavery in Egypt and go through the Red Sea. And now Moses leads these people to the Promised Land, that place that has been promised them for generations. Right up, this is their moment. This is their time to say, are we going to take a step of faith? Are we going to make this move and believe God for what he said? And so Moses invites 12 leaders, the best of the best of the best of the Hebrew nation, to go over there and spy on the land to see what they're dealing with. So those 12 go over and spy on the land, and they come back and give a report to Moses and the people. That place is incredible. It's just what God said. It's amazing. But... There's giants over there. There's armies over there waiting for us. There's fortified cities like Jericho. There's no way we can win this day. And the people, those 10 of those 12 spies doubted God in that moment and infused the people with fear. And they stepped away from God. And when we do that, there's always consequences like we talked about last week. And these consequences were severe for the nation of Israel, as God tells Moses, okay, take the people back, all those who doubted me, take them back to the desert, you're going to wander for 40 years until that whole generation that doubted me dies. Now, you talk about a tough leadership assignment. I mean, Moses' job, take this whole country back, wander around the desert for 40 years until everybody dies, and then you'll give them another shot. And so that's what they do. The whole generation passes, and now it's 40 years later, And Moses brings a new generation of people to the promised land. It's their moment. It's their time. It's their chance to say, are you going to take a step? Are you going to believe God for what he said and cross over to the promised land? So they come come back to the promised land. Uh, God tells Moses, you know, great job in this moment, but Joshua is going to be the one to take him across. I need a warrior for this stage of the journey. So Joshua is going to be the man to lead the people across the Jordan River and into the land that I promised them. And on the eve of this historic moment, in, you know, one of the most significant moments in human history, where do we find Joshua in his tent in communication with God like he's seen Moses model for him for 40 years in solitude, in quiet? And God gives him these words, Joshua, you're going to be okay. Moses is dead, so you need to get going. You need to take that step. Just like I was with Moses, I'll be with you. 
I'm going to give you every square inch of this land that I promise that you see out there. Don't give in to fear. Don't give in to struggle. Be strong. Be courageous. Because I, the God, I'm going to be with you every step you take. And on the strength of those words that God gives them out of Joshua 1, Joshua takes the people across the Jordan River. And just like he did in the Red Sea, God dries up the Jordan River so this nation of hundreds of thousands can cross the Jordan River and into the Promised Land. And in a scene that will never be forgot by any, anybody there and passed on for generations, the people cross, and then the religious leaders of the day cross, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments, and they cross through the river and through the people, and then the army comes, 40,000 battle-ready soldiers ready to go and step across to what God's promised them into the Promised Land. And so they, they cross through the people and enter the Valley of the Promised Land, and where are they going first? Jericho, the baddest town in the valley. Walls of stone. Fierce, valiant warriors reside there. No outside force has been able to penetrate those walls or have victory over that city. Impossible. And that's where God sends the Hebrew people first to take on Jericho. And he tells them and tells Joshua, take your army of 40,000 and circle that city and walk around the city once a day for seven days. Once a day. For seven days. Now, think about this city now. An army of 40,000 is circling their city and walking around. Seems super strange and weird, you know, a direction. Yet Joshua has to say, am I going to believe God for what he has told me? And am I going to take that step? And so he takes the people around and they circle that city once a day for seven days. And on the seventh day, they walk around the city seven times. Now, these people, as we'll find out soon, knew about this God of the Hebrew people. They'd heard the stories of the Red Sea being parted. They knew the Jordan River had dried up so these people could cross. And now this feared army is at their doorstep. So think about what that was like inside those city walls. Is that army of 40,000 circles. That's not a weak moment. That's That's a scary moment, right? I would say the anxiety and the fear within that city was palpable as those days continued each day you know, the intensity of that army passing. So how did we get there, though? How did we get to Joshua's march on Jericho? Enter Rahab, the prostitute, into this story, the foundation of this story, and the closer of the Hebrews chapter Hall of Fame, Rahab. Difference maker in this story. So before the march on Jericho, Joshua sends his spies into Jericho to spy them out. This is 40 years later, different set of spies. He sent spies into Jericho to see what they're dealing with, what the city was like, what its people were like, what are we going to find there. And these spies go into the city, and they come to the house of Rahab. And the king of Jericho finds out that these spies have come to Rahab's house, and so he and his men go to confront Rahab about the scene that's about to take place. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. So if you want to follow with me, uh, the story kind of picks up at that moment in Joshua 2. And I'm going to read a little bit of this with you. And, and uh, so soak this in. This is incredible. I mean, this, you can't, you know, this is an incredible story. So just see what God may have for you in these moments. So in Joshua 2, it says, So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab. Bring out the men who have come to your house, for they have come to spy on our whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, 
but I didn't know where they came from. They left the town at dusk, and the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch them. Actually, she had taken them to her roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road, leading to the shallow crossing of the Jordan River. And soon as the king's men had left the gates of Jericho were shut. Then verse 8 says, Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went back to her roof to talk to them and said, I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are afraid of you. Everyone in this land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through this Red Sea, and you have left Egypt. And we know that what you did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. So verse 11, critical. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight here. For the Lord, your God, is the supreme God of the heavens and earth. Swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to my family since I have helped you. Give me a guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will live, let me live along with my father, my brother, sisters, and their families. And the spies told Rahab, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us this land. Then, since Rahab's house was on the town wall, she let them down by a rope through her window. And she told them to escape to the hill country there for three days. And when they returned, they could go on their way. So she crafts this incredible master plan. So what do we know about Rahab so far? She has a faith based on a reason, right? Just like we talked about. She has a faith based on the reason. What's her reason for believing in God? She knows the stories. She knows that God parted the Red Sea incredibly. How? And this whole nation passed through the Red Sea. She knows God again dried up the Jordan River for this whole nation to come across to the promised land. So she knows. And remember she said in the midst of that verse as she's telling, we know your God is the supreme God. Everybody's living in fear here. Everybody's afraid to fight because they know what he can do. So she has a faith based on a reason. But Rahab, unlike anybody else in that city, puts her faith to action. She takes a step. She backs what she says she believes with action and movement. That's what separates her from everybody else in Jericho. Rahab, courage. Courage and strength to face a king. Rahab, bold and unselfish. When she develops her plan and crafts this plan for freedom for herself, it's not just about her, right? She looks out for her mother, for her father, for her brothers, sisters, and their families. And Rahab, cunning, crafts a master plan made for Hollywood, tells the king and he and his henchmen buy it, and they go a different way, and then she lets a rope out of her window and lets the spies down out of her window over the town wall to escape. This is a woman that's got it. She's got strength. She's got courage. She's cunning. And, and through that is able, and God used her to take that step. Rahab, faith based on a reason. So how does this story end? How does Rahab's part of this story end? It's in Joshua 6. Back to the march on Jericho. It says, now Jericho was tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites, and no one went out or came in. 
And see, I have handed over Jericho to you, Jericho to you, with its king and valiant warriors, and you shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once, and you shall do this for six days, just where we started. Also the priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow their trumpets. All the people shall shout with a great joy, and the walls of the city will fall flat. Then verse 17, but the city was designated for destruction and everything in it. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who were with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers. Now, a couple things here. We need to understand, I mean, this is a wild, crazy, out there story, right? But it's not a pretend story. It's not make-believe. I mean, this really happened. I mean, there's archaeological evidence that the walls of Jericho crumbled and flattened. I mean, that happened. That, that dynamic of how it happened. Historically, archaeologically, it's there, right? The Israelites won this day, and Rahab is the centerpiece and the foundation of this story and making it happen. Her steps of faith and backing up her belief with action made all the difference in the world. So a couple observations from this that I think are significant. One, you would think, you know, after generations of slavery and God's promise and Moses leading people to the promised land and all they went through and then 40 years wandering in the desert, and they get to this place that maybe they could cruise for a while and get into the promised land, right? But the journey of faith starts with a fight, and the fight had only begun from there. They start by going to the strongest city in the land, Jericho. And the fight for faith continues to this day in that part of the world, right? And it will for you and I. When we take steps, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be opposition to following God in your context, in your place. Always is. Uh, that fight will only just begun, and that's clear in this story. What else? The belief in God without action is just empty words. Weight lacks weight, lacks strength. You just, is there any real substance to that? That a belief takes action, takes people being willing to take steps without a doubt, that's a consequence consequence of the story. And the third thing I think is God, through the story of Rahab and who she was, is a God of second chances, right? God of many chances. Not only for Rahab, but how about for the people of Jericho? Because of Rahab and who she was, we see that God is a God of many chances. But how about the people of Jericho? I've talked to people a lot over many years about what it takes to have faith in God to take that first step. And one of the blocks to a lot of people, and understandably so, is how does a loving God allow such evil in this world to advance? And we all know and are all too familiar with the stories around the world that are going on so hard. And this story itself is pretty tough, right? Because the command is once the walls of Jericho fall, the Hebrew people are supposed to go in there and they wipe everything out, everybody. I mean, the whole city is flat. And that's a little hard to absorb. And that's not the only story like that in the Bible where God commands people to go through. But did God not give the people of Jericho many chances? Remember in the midst of this story that it says, Rahab says, the people in this city believe. They know what you did. They know what your God did at the Red Sea. They know. 
what God did at Jordan River. We believe he is the supreme God. Did not God give the city of Jericho 40 years to make a decision, to take a step? I mean, when you see it that way, it changes things. And then how about those last seven days when the army is marching around the city every day? Was there not an opportunity for everybody in that city? On those seven days, was the tension, the anxiety, and the fear built to say, okay, I mean, can I put my belief into action? We know this God can do this. That's clear. And we're all scared to death. Can I put my faith to action? Yet only one in that whole city had the courage enough to step out. Only one put her faith into action and took a step forward. And as a result, changed the trajectory of her, her family for generations. Only one did that in the whole city. Amazing. So why did God give us this story? I mean, why did God give us Rahab? Why is she tagged with a label when no one else is, right? I mean, you heard Matt talk a couple weeks ago about Nehemiah. I mean, good or bad. Uh, Nehemiah is not referenced as Nehemiah the builder. Or last week when I talked about Elijah, it's not Elijah the guy who struggled with depression. I mean, they're not tagged. Why is Rahab? Why is she kind of feels like singled out? And why did God give us her as the closer to the most incredible chapter, you know, that talks about faith in all the Bible with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses and all that, and then Rahab? And then why? I think there's a couple reasons for that as I think about it in process. One is that I think through Rahab's life, who she was and her journey, God shows us that God can use anyone, anytime, any place, with any struggle, with any brokenness in your family background or not, with any baggage that we may or may not bring along, he can use anyone. And I think, too, that uh, you know, I just think, too, her story shows us that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter what we're doing. You know, and Rahab, it's important to remember in her story that, that that was a lifestyle that she was living at the time this story played out, right? It wasn't something she gave up five years ago. And then, I mean, so it doesn't matter what we've done or what we're doing, that God's love and extension is all of us, no matter what. In these days we live, with such division and struggle, and with such frustration, the last thing we need, I think, is to have kind of a, in the church as a, as a whole, is kind of an us versus them mentality. I think our hope and, and uh, job and my belief is that we need to reach out and invite people in and love them. And let God worry about the behaviors and what's going on there. I mean, he can change the hearts and impact people that way. But I think our, our job is to love them. There is no disqualifiers in the story of Rahab. Nothing that disqualifies us. That God's invitation is universal and total to all of us. That's what I love about Relevant Church, by the way. One of the things I love coming alongside Ronnie and Matt and all that because their heart bleeds for people that just take the step. Um, I've known Ronnie since he's in high school, you know, and, and his passion, you think he has passion and drive now, you should have seen unbridled passion as a teenager from that guy. But uh, one thing that's always driven him is a heart for people and wanting them to take a step toward God because he knows. And that's why he's in this. That's why he does this. And hearing Matt a couple weeks ago uh, talk about his heart as he unpacked that idea of Nehemiah, same thing. 
I mean, I love these guys' hearts and the leadership here that is reaching out, you know, toward people, no matter what our story is toward you and I, with an invitation, you know, to take a step toward God because that's the thing that's going to make all the difference. And in Rahab, I think, in Rahab, we see this mysterious God and the absolute wonder of faith that's available to everybody, anybody. And I think I can't think of a better word other than scandalous grace and love that's an extended invitation to her and thus to you and I. And I, for one, am thankful for that throughout my life. I wanted to show you a clip of a movie that had a big impact on me last summer. And uh, first, a disclaimer. Like, um, these kind of movies over the years I've run away from because I typically have found kind of the churchy Christian movies out there to be cheesy and poorly acted and all that stuff, and I just haven't been a fan. I just haven't gone to them. But uh, this movie was different to me. Uh, It follows the historical, uh, I love stories, and it follows the story of three leaders, true life people, who uh, by stepping out made a real difference in their world and the world around them and actually launched a movement that changed this country in the late 60s and early 70s. It was the catalyst for the Jesus Revolution music movement. A young man who stepped away, a hippie who stepped away from addictions, and a pastor who was leading a very small, fading church with just a few people in it who had a moment, you know, that changed everything. And their willingness in their own way to step out and make a stand toward what they felt God called them to do changed everything, not only in their worlds, but the world around them. I like this movie because I think it had... Well, I know it had such impact on my family's journey. My mom was a bit of a mystic, and uh, I get a lot of my spiritual journey and what it's like to follow God did from her. And uh, she came to faith in God in the late 60s, early 70s as a result of this Jesus Revolution movement. And she infused a passion for God that she brought back home that changed my dad's life and his trajectory. As a result, my sister and brother-in-law started following God as a result of this Jesus Revolution movement in the early 70s, um, and it's had impact on my family. So I love it because of that. But I really love it because of the story, and what we're going to see in this clip is, is this pastor of this small church who he'd been catering to for so long decided to take a stand and do things differently. He decided to act on what he believed was true, that this imitation of God's love is available to everybody, no matter what. No matter what you're doing, no matter what you've done, that it doesn't, that God's extended his love to us in that invitation total. And this is a moment that changed everything, like I said, became a catalyst to start a whole movement in Southern California that spread throughout the country. So check out this scene. So many voices. It's hard to hear the truth. Truth is always quiet. It's the lies that are loud. It's complicated. The truth is simple. What is going on? Towel. 
There's another one here. There we go. Yeah. Baptize these feet in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. There you go. Uh, welcome to church. <laughs> Hello. Let's have that foot, please. Okay. Place them both on that towel and then step on into church. Welcome. Thank you. Hello, young lady. How are you? Let's have that foot. Have that other foot. <laughs> yeah, why don't you go sit next to that fella in the cantaloupe jacket? <laughs> Good to see you. Thank Enjoy. You. Welcome to church. Thank you. Hello, young lady. Well, last year I had the privilege of visiting uh, New York City. And like any good tourist, I, I paid a visit to the Statue of Liberty. And I read those famous words Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. And as I read those words, I thought, well, that's Christianity, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's the essence of it. An invitation to the broken. Jesus was very friendly with the outcasts. In Revelation 22, it says, let the one who can hear say, come, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the waters of life freely. I want you all to look at me. Uh, please, every one of you. This place It is yours. <laughs> I don't, I don't care if anybody else thinks so. I mean, if, if you feel like you're an outcast, then join us here. If you feel like you're misunderstood and judged, this is where you belong. If you feel ashamed or trapped in something you've done or are doing, you will find forgiveness and freedom right here. No guilt trips. <laughs> this is your home. And I want you to tell all your friends about it. There is a place for you. Now that door is open all the time for you, any time of day. And if there are some who don't like that, well then that door is open for you too. It works both ways. Let's begin. Let's begin. Hey, Chuck. 
You're going to need a bigger church. did need a bigger church. <laughs> I mean, because that moment, that step was risky for him, for Chuck Smith, but he did. And as a result, the word spread. And there was like 2,000 churches that planted ultimately from that one church. Started in Southern California, spread throughout the country, started with just a small step. Can't help but think of Rahab in that crowd, right? When she's hearing that, saying, me too. Even me, I mean, I'm welcome in this place. I'm welcome to take that step. Yeah, for sure. That passage that he shared in that clip comes out of Revelations 22, 17. says, come, let anyone who hears this come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Drink, drink freely from the water of life. You know, as I bring my part of this series to a close, it's been an absolute privilege to be with you for these couple weeks. Matt will close this series next week. But as I do, I want to invite you to take a small step. Can't not miss this moment. Um, this is kind of risky for me and you. But I want you to invite you to take a step here. Um, we're going to sing with the team here. I'll come to the altar soon. And I'm going to invite you to stand uh, when that starts and, and join us in this. But I'm going to ask you to consider stepping out from your seat and uh, come forward. There's like room down here, not anything other than that. Just to come forward to make a statement that I want to do this different. There's a couple reasons you might step out from your seat, come into the aisle or come forward. And like I said, there's room and join me down here. Uh, it might be your first step toward God, a first moment where you're going to say, I'm going to take stand. I'm going to put belief with a reason to action and take a movement toward God. That might be why you come. You might come forward and come out of your seat just because you want to not settle. That You want to be willing and able and used by God no matter what. That you don't want to just stay in that place you're at. Or you might come out of your seat and, and move forward because there has been something God's been nudging you toward. A, a step maybe in your life and your world that you have thought about taking, maybe this is a moment to say, I'm going to take that step. We can't hear this story and be a part of the series without making a move, I think, and taking a step. You can easily do that from your seat, so no worries, you know, on there. But if during the song God nudges you, I'm just going to invite you to step out from your seat and come forward and say, what does God have in this moment for me? as I take this step. The words of this song, this song is an invitation to Rahab. It's an invitation to you. It's an invitation to me in this moment, I think. Are you hurting? Are you hurting and tired within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling you. In this moment, today, at Relevant Church, Jesus is calling you in this moment. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst from a drink from the well? Jesus is calling you. This feels good here. Leave behind your regrets and your mistakes. God's not keeping account of that. It doesn't matter. Jesus is calling you. Oh, come to the altar where his arms are open wide. Stand with me with this last song and 
And uh, if you want, I'd invite you to move from your seat and come on down and join us in this last song. Oh, come to the altar. Oh, come to.
For a second, and, and I just want anybody to know that for those of you that took a step out, a, a physical step, I want you to know that God honors that. Like He sees that, and you, the, the modern church, we've kind of done a little bit of a disservice. We we want so badly to make it easy for anybody who wants to take a step to follow Jesus that we've kind of gotten rid of this. But man, isn't it so beautiful at times to physically step out from where you are, just to say in front of everybody, like. For whatever reason these people came up here, for whatever reason you stepped out from your seat, you did it because you want God to move in your life, and I believe that he honors that. But for those of you, for those of you who who your step this morning, (laughs) as you heard Tim speak, your step is to, for the very first time, ask Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, to place your faith in him by doing that. And, And I will not allow us to leave this room until we've had an opportunity to allow you to do that. So I'm just going to pray a simple prayer that you can pray quietly in your head. You can you can pray along with me. You can say whatever words you want to say. We're going to give you an opportunity to put your faith in Jesus this morning. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for allowing me to see that you love me. And God, I acknowledge the fact that I am a sinner in need of a savior. So Jesus, in this moment, I pray that I ask, would you be the forgiver of my sins, my Savior? And Jesus, would you be the leader of my life, my Lord? God, we thank you so much for the work that you've done in our midst this morning. We're so honored and grateful that you chose to be with us to meet us here in very special ways as individuals, but also collectively as a church, just to see you move and work in this place and in the hearts of those that are joining us. We love you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.